drop. Hey there, everyone. This is Christian Wynn, director of Story Fort, and you're listening to Story Fort Presents Voices of Tree Fort Music Fest, a weekly podcast that dives into the stories behind Boise's Festival of Discovery. Tree Fort Music Fest brings in hundreds of artists from all over the globe every March, though this year we are going to be bringing you the fest in September, and then in 2022 we're going to bring it back to March. But we're still here to tell you about all things Tree Fort. And today we're going to launch our Freak Out February in 2021 with the guys, one of them named Guy, Guy Keltner and Skylar Locatelli, who are two of the three co-founders of Freak Out Records out of Seattle. They have a really cool kind of tree fort-like fest um, in Ballard every year called the Freak Out Fest, and their label is really blowing up so we're going to get into all that sort of stuff talk about the seattle scene some amazon angst we'll call it and just uh, larry rosen and i want to say welcome to freak out february and let's listen to the episode here we go official welcome to guy keltner and skylar locatelli i will never forget your last name skylar uh, <laughs> of Freak Out Records, who are celebrating their fifth anniversary this month, which is part of the uh, impetus for us to do Freak Out February. I'm pretty proud I said that without stumbling. I thought I was going to stumble on Freak Out February, which might be in March, February. You know, guys, since you've been kind of prolific lately, maybe you need a longer month than February (laughs) than just 28 days. But um, welcome to both of you. And I guess... The first question I'd want to ask you guys is the question I have been asking everyone for the last nine months, whether they're writers or performers or musicians and your record label owners and musicians and radio station employees is, you know, how's your apocalypse been? What have you been doing? And in your case, what specifically have you done to not only keep the label going, but to further its aims? Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll start off. Hey, everybody, this is Skylar. Thanks for having us on. Guys, always a pleasure to chat with you. For me, um, the non-artist perspective, but the label radio guy, it's been, you know, in the beginning, it was like what it was for everybody. Like, you know, just sort of figuring out what's the longevity of this? Like, are we going to be going back to shows this summer? You know, there was always a question of targeting new dates and us as festival curator producers, our festival happens in November and we weren't sure for a while whether or not we weren't going to be able to do it. Do you remember back then when it seemed like it's definitely going to be okay by November? Yeah. I mean, we had that, we kind of had that level of confidence, you know, but at the same time, we, I don't want to say fortunate, but we were more fortunate than other festivals, I would say, because we had already wrapped up our, 2019 fest and we're just in the early stages of planning 2020 nobody got any advances (laughs) nobody yeah we we only we had we had bands we wanted to book we had some that we were but it it wasn't like we had done so much work that you know we were backtracking and needing to like try and 
figure it out and make it happen. So we took a while to kind of plan it out, but we did have some sponsorships, um, some reoccurring supporters of the festival. And so we did launch our own uh, live series, which we could probably talk a little bit more about later. But that was kind of the big, from a festival standpoint, what we did, but we also had three records. And um, the the first record that came out was Guy's Acid Tongue Project that was on March 13th. And that was basically the lockdown day. So his record was already coming out on March 13th. We had a show at the tractor. It was already almost sold out. And we, the last, like the last few days before that show, uh, had to move it because the tractor said, you know what, we can't do this. And so we ended up bringing it to Belltown Yacht Club, sold it out, and we streamed the show live. We were one of the first uh, label slash bands to to do a live stream in in pandemic world, which which was we managed to do it in forty eight hours. It was crazy. Yeah, was that without an audience at all? Like totally no audience. Well, actually sold out. We yeah. were at the smallest venue we could be at. I mean, mm-hmm. that was still honor the tickets that we had because we sold out, and we had a we had sold a ton of tickets to the tractor, so we just squeeze into a like basically a one hundred and fifty cap room. And there was that whole fear of like having COVID super spreader hovering over. Yeah. That we thought we were going to be that thing, but it was also early enough on where people were like, fuck it, which is like the flu, (laughs) you know? So it was really cool. And it was uh, frightening at the same time. There was something really emotional about it. And I know a lot of people were crying during the show Mm -hmm. because I don't know, it was was scary, you know? Well, and, and guy, we're going to talk when when you come back as acid tongue, um, uh, later this month, we'll talk more about this. But I'm curious at the time, and we've talked to some some writers about this who have published books during the pandemic. You know, this is something you built over a period of time. You put a lot of effort in. You had a lot of anticipation on what it was going to do. Kind of describe your thought process and your emotional process when you realized your record was dropping the day the, the day the world ended. Well, I think living so like so often, my life is just chaos. This is just more chaos coming at me. And the world has always been like that. Like as long as I've been freelance and on the road with music, you know, playing an acid tongue, I have had a chaotic life where I'm sometimes I'm not insured. Sometimes we get into car accidents. These things happen regularly. And that I, I know how to handle those types of situations. But this was this seismic shift in the industry that nobody knew how to handle. And I felt like right away, I kind of didn't give a shit about anything else except eating in the coming months and realizing that was a priority. So I really focused on getting grants. You know, I know the Grammy organization and Artist Trust and a bunch of different little organizations were able to help give me grants, which I was super appreciative of and thankful for because that helped keep me afloat. And this was a scramble in the beginning. Like I didn't care about the record for a second because I didn't have time to. I, I I just moved out to the States again with my wife and she's not a full citizen yet. So I have to support both of us. And it was really kind of like a eat or, or, or die moment in my head. You are working without a net. Yeah. Um, uh, to, as kind of as a follow-up though, was there sort of a bifurcated process in your head of dealing with it as a member of your band and as a mm-hmm. record owner? Yeah. I mean, that also came up a lot because of money and we invested a lot into these records. So there was a lot at stake right away. 
there was a panic of, of a lot of levels of like, ooh, how do we do this? But at the same time, like Skylar and I have always been pretty composed about this because yes, we have a lot of money at stake, but we're not talking like lifetime debts here. These are things that if everything folded tomorrow, you know, we could pull our way out of it and walk away if we had to, you know? So there's this whole assessment of like, what's the risk of doing this? What's the risk of doing that? You know, should we pull the plug on this one? Should we postpone this record? And I really didn't get to use my band hat much. It was a lot of being a label owner and having the band come secondary. And then there was some conversations as a band of like, fuck it, let's just be the first guinea pig and see how our record goes before we do the other two. And the other two ended up getting postponed and it was, it was for the best. But we really took a lot of risks as a band right in the beginning and we didn't know what we were going into. So I have mixed feelings about how it came out too. <clears throat> how the record came out or how the, the stuff how the how, how the rollout came out because of mm-hmm. the situation i think there was a lot of noise like every day you're used to seeing certain things and you still are able to absorb a lot of music in a normal social media intake in your morning and right. i think for the first few weeks especially of covid it was just all about covid you know just yeah. noise about that and if it was about music it was complaining about my life is ruined Curious, you know. yes. Um, like how, like how, like for the record label and just for you as artists, do you feel like you've gotten enough support? I mean, I know the Treeport and a lot of the venues around here have been really sort of on the brink. You know, I mean, Treeport's really doing well um, and has raised some good money. But I know, like a lot of the live venues and some of the just the bands themselves who were touring so very much and making their living that way, just man, they've gotten some relief. But do you guys feel like that the generosity was well? You mean governmental? Uh, yeah, the government and or some fellowship, you know, some foundations and whatnot have like helped you out enough? Or um, what do you think? I, I have mixed emotions here too, because I benefited from quite a bit of the relief. And so I can say that there are organizations out there that are doing genuinely awesome things for artists right now and are doing their best to keep up with it. And we as a label, I mean, we've gotten support again in the sense of fans. People donate to the bands. Um, they've been buying merch. And we've managed to get through a lot of our inventory that we didn't expect to in this time. On the flip side, this kind of goes back to a big event in Seattle I attended with Skylar before lockdown went down. And I'm really fed up with this kind of this whole notion. We have a big Amazon problem in Seattle. And so this was an event in Seattle to bring musicians and different people in the arts community together to discuss how to improve the conditions within the music and arts community. And I was at a table, sat with somebody who was influential enough, but this is an older white dude telling us that we need to start engaging with the Amazon employees and engaging with the higher ups there. And I think it's fucking bullshit, you know? And my wife, she's from France where it's all about socialism. Like the state really does have to support people at a certain level for people to do go and do what they want to do. And we keep having this like delusional notion that like these rich motherfuckers are going to save what we're doing right now. They're going to come through and support it. And they're fucking not, they don't care. So I haven't, I've just seen it get so much worse in the last few months. And clearly I'm really passionate about this because I believe in this like deeply. And I'm tired of hearing people with influence in these communities and in the arts communities saying this shit, like rich people are going to fucking save us because they are, they will not, they do not want to, and they do not care that much. And when they do, it's about what they care about, which is very specific. Skylar, your thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Before I ask for your thoughts, your day job is 
raising money. You're in business That's development. Right. So you know how to raise money. And maybe you interact with the same people that guy is talking about. Maybe you don't. But during this period of time, there was probably more pressure on you in both of your ha- both of your jobs to raise money. How has it gone? Yeah, well, extremely difficult. I mean, it's, you know, coming from a year like 2019, where uh, my specific department saw a a record high in fundraising, right? And then to go with the goal, the goal out of that year into 2020, and being, you know, basically slapped in the face. and, and, And it's been really difficult, in short. I mean, I think that we've done a really great job at sort of, you know, turning over as many stones as we can and finding out what companies are able to commit and support. Um, there's still a lot of successful businesses out there, but the most of the people that I work with have been, you know, folks that are just still so passionate about supporting the KXP community that they and, and see the value in it long term. But I dealt with a lot of, you know, putting campaigns on hold, canceling things altogether. Essentially, you know, we lost nearly 50% of our of our revenue for, for the year. So as far as from a label perspective, though, you know, it is very frustrating because we do live in a city that is thriving. In, in many ways and, and in many ways not. And, and I feel like there's this, there's always this like, you know, big, everybody knows that artists are struggling. Every, you know, the, the artists themselves and sort of, you know, people that do have the, the, the power and influence to, to help support them. I, I feel like the, the conversation just gets sort of, it gets disconnected and kind of like what Guy was saying, that the, the thing that we went to, there were some ideas on the table and there were some really bad ideas. And it was just like, the idea of that is to bring people, bring these minds together to help come to a solution. And we don't feel like the, the path is, is there. It's, it's the people aren't being connected. That's a problem in many walks of life, especially the arts. Um, and I was going to just a quick follow up, like, mm-hmm. but for both of you, what do you think? If you're in that situation, clearly you're saying the, the wealthy Amazonians will not, you know, be helping out probably and other people <laughs> with money. But, but what do you think would be a, a solution to this? Or like a, just in a, a thumbnail sketch of it. We probably don't have time to go into the deeper yeah. elements right now, but yeah. What do you guys think? Yeah. I'll jump in there again. Um, so you, you, you have the various, I mean, who's struggling right now. I mean, a lot of people are, but when it comes to the art and music community venues, individual artists, labels, or any, any support network for the artist, right? You can't be an artist without venues. You can't be an artist without, uh, the services and the record stores and the whole industry overall. But without the artists, you have nothing. And even even major label and medium to, you know, all sizes of, of artist successes or whatever um, are struggling and because they don't have the same revenue stream that without the touring. And so I think you have to, you have to be able to take care of from the, from the bottom up you have to be able to support the industry from the bottom up. And, and so to answer a question from earlier too, about the, uh, has, has the label received funding or support from any, anyone else? And, and the answer is no. The, um, we, we had looked at various 
potential grants for the label or, um, but it, it does, so that brings it back to the artists. Has it, and that's what sort of I, the, the space I took was to seek out opportunities for the artists on the label and say, hey guys, look, make sure you check this out. You know, that, that was kind of my role. Uh, the label sort of on its own. And we, we, unless I had a private investor come in and inject us with cash, there wasn't a lot of opportunity from a business perspective. You know, it's interesting. I, you know, having not having not lived in Seattle for twenty years, in the general scheme of things, in this area, Seattle's always been really good at forming committees and talking about what they're going to do. And you know, ever since Microsoft, the millionaires in Seattle have always been the kind of like, no, no, we're not like those other rich people. We're cool. But it seems like there is something being lost. You know between the we're cool and we support the arts and here's 10 bucks, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think it's about the cohesion of it. There, there are pockets of, of things that help support, but it doesn't reach everyone. And so I think that's the issue. I, I also think I'd want to put this in terms that make sense, but like, I think about like fast fashion, you know, and there's a cost to this cheap garment we're wearing and there's a cost to everything. And I think about that with like your engagement with the arts, you know, and I think there's a crowd that could support us or maybe supports art, but they're listening to the same. I don't want to like disparage the Grateful Dead, but they're listening to a lot of older bands that are living off their royalties, you know, and they're engaging with, you know, one of those radio stations that's, you know, it's a major network and it's the same 2000 people. And instead of engaging with the smaller community around them, you know, supporting things like KXP, listening to these new artists, trying to just discover new things, there's kind of a complacency that exists. And it props up like this establishment that we can't really crack into. And that's the bummer, I think, for smaller artists at times and where the struggle comes from is there's this ceiling. And then there's all these other barriers along with that, like, you know, just how clubs operate, you know, needing to sell alcohol, needing to do certain things just to get into filling a club. Like we can't even just fill the club. We have to make sure people drink that night, you know, just for everyone to make money and support this industry. Yeah. And it's, it's, it still sort of surprises me because I, I guarantee you in Seattle, if you walk around Amazon, you will find a group of people who insist they were at the first Nirvana show. Mm-hmm. They were there. We're cooler than that. We don't listen to Grateful Dead. We're young. We're hip. We're cool. But they're just <laughs> like twenty years forward. <laughs> well, Larry, I, I was going to say, what did you? What, what, when we were up there last in February before the lockdown, seems like twenty years ago. I know. <laughs> what was your assessment of the crowd at the tractor that night? Was it, oh, was the, it show, the show that we went to? There were a lot of like Amazon employees. I felt like at that. Oh, show. totally. Yeah, they were people. <laughs> but that was a, that was a yeah. That was a different sort of show. I don't know if you guys know John Roderick, but that was his band. And okay, he's been playing music forever, but he's also simultaneously built this huge following through his podcast. The Long Winners, uh, yes. that John Roderick, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they that crowd was half podcast fans. Oh yeah, it was probably three fourths podcast fans. I mean, everybody works in tech out here. I worked in tech. Like it goes back to the thing about needing to eat. You know, like at the end yeah. of the day, like we have to survive. And it's fair to say that like everyone's going to be touched by tech in this city right now. It's and oh, go ahead. Oh no, that's really it. You know, I mean, I remember working in it and hating it and being a podcast person because of it. Like you spend all day sitting in front of a computer and you do consume music and you do, you're not a bad person for working in a tech company, 
I think it's, I think what's wrong is the system around everything. You know, that's, that's really the problem. It is because it's interesting to me that someone in your position would talk about trying to kind of get access to that establishment because it, it's sort of even just that word, it, well, it used to be, it probably is anymore, but that word establishment was so loaded with, you know, I don't mm. want to be part of that. Yeah. Know? But they're the ones who are, make things possible. Yeah. And they, they have all the money, you know, that's really it. Like, I think what we really want is just to be able to survive. We're not asking for much. Like I know a lot of artists that don't give a shit about like having a private jet ever or any shit like that. Like that's not why they're playing. They just want to put food on the table. They want to be able to travel. They want to be able to like play their music for their fans and to not have this major barrier to do that, which is oftentimes how it feels. You guys had to know when you started a record label, kind of this late in the game, a post-Napster record label, that mm-hmm. it was going to be an uphill climb. For sure. Yeah, and, and so I think that brings us to the mission of the label, and it, it, was never, it was never about, you know, trying to become the next sub-pop. You know, we weren't, you know, we weren't going to start f- from scratch and expect to, you know, we weren't expecting to sign Nirvana. or But at the same time, we did want to, we do want to, uh, discover um, an artist that deserves the, a platform that we can offer and and provide a space for emerging talent. And what makes us interesting is the festival factor. I mean, you have where that's where the label was born and it makes the label bigger than it actually is because Freakout Festival has grown to to a DIY basement thing in guy's house to 65 bands in four days. I mean, it's not, it's definitely (laughs) in in the span of seven years, but what that festival does is it, that provides a platform for 20 other up and coming artists that aren't on the label that we're showcasing. Mm -hmm. Well, let's, let's, we touched on this before we started recording, but let's go back and talk about the founding of the Freakout Festival and how it led to the founding of the label itself. I'll let guy kick it off. Well, I think what's really crucial to this is uh, getting out of tech, getting out of working in the industry. I had a job at an advertising agency in Seattle that was awesome. I really enjoyed that job. And um, I got an offer to take a 50% pay cut, basically, to go work for Numo's, Barbosa, you know, Capitol Hill Block Party, the whole shebang in town and be their marketing manager. And that was awesome. And just this new experience to meet everyone in the music community and get extremely connected fast. And I'd already been touring a ton on a DIY level. So this was uh, sort of the keys to maybe not that establishment we're talking really high above, but the beginning of that for me. And to be able to see how a festival operates and to see how these industries operate. And there's a lot of choices made, again, to make money and to put food on the table. So sometimes even when you're curating something amazing, like some of the major festivals in town, you're picking artists because you know they're going to bring kids that'll pay more, this person that'll do that, a demographic. And I started seeing those decisions get made and realizing we needed a vehicle to kind of not do that and have something fun and that's where freak out festival came from was like what if there was like a you know multi-day event at a bunch of these scuzzy little clubs in town that promoted bands that don't get that kind of help that aren't about that and isn't really here to make money because we never really make money on it and i feel like tree ford is in that same sort of yes you guys are you know we've talked about this when we were out there in february and just kind of connecting with like 
with, with the Smoky Brights, another band on the label, were saying, um, and I was just going to say and ask you what you thought of this. I think it was Skylar in, in an interview with the Smoky Brights, like talking about the festival itself. Like there was a connective moment, like, okay, Seattle's still kind of kind of cool. It's actually still happening out there. You know, they had this moment at, at the Freakout Festival maybe two, three years ago, and it was like, oh, there's actually enough diversity and enough t- different types of music coming through your festival. Um, and just different voices represented. It was like, oh, this is not just a corporate city. So yeah, that was the first year we went back to Ballard in 2017. Yeah. And there's just, you know, I, I came on at the end of basically, well, to go backtrack to a little bit of the roots. So Guy and I met in 20, 2015. Um, and I was doing a, a psychedelic rock festival actually at the Triple Door. <laughs> and, and guy had heard about that and so his his boss at the time steve severin was like hey you two should know each other and oh yeah another mutual friend of ours brent armaker was like so two different looks like old school industry guys were like you two need to meet yes and then people we, we love <laughs> yeah people yeah. we respect and have been in the game for a long time we're like yeah these guys got to meet so we met and then guy was doing the the, the festival at Numos that year so i kind of came in at the tail end of that and helped out and then and then in 2016 we did another one in capitol hill but 2017 was in ballard and it was the first first year back there and there was just this like really strong sense of community that weekend and it and it kind of revitalized a lot for us and that's why we've been doing it there year over year because it's it's just this it's the right space for what we're trying to do and you think about you guys know ballard when you think about what treefort has been successful at it it has this proximity right where you're in downtown boise and we're talking totally different scale at this point but when you have the ability to just go to all these places all across the street and and it, there is this really strong sense of community at Treefort and and yeah now we're we're slowly building to that in our own little community of Ballard as an as an old school Seattleite the mm-hmm. idea that Ballard is a better place to show to throw a rock festival than Capitol Hill just breaks my heart mm. <laughs> yeah yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna not take that one take up that that rant <laughs> i had my rant earlier <laughs> i lived there from 1989 to 97 or 2000 and i don't recognize it now oh yeah um, at what point though we're running the festival did you realize it was really a big project that was hard to do or did you know that was going to happen all along immediately really <laughs> immediately yeah into? the first year Actually, so I'm working off spreadsheets, right? Because I still come from that world where I'm, you know, computer savvy. I have to know how to book. So I learned how to book watching them do it at Numos. I would bring shows in. So I'm simultaneously getting all these bands stoked about it, emailing them or their management or whatever it is. And then I'm dealing with all these venues. And at the time, the, it was on Capitol Hill because, I, you know, I had all my access around there and knew everybody. And I wanted the comment to kind of be the centerpiece. Uh, the Comet Tavern. And this is right before it got shut down. And that owner was a junkie and he takes off without paying any of his debts. And I lose my main venue, <laughs> you know? And so this junkie owner takes off and we end up having to move it into like a dance studio called Velocity. It's on 12th, right around the corner from Numos and Cal Anderson and all that. 
but that was the kind of shit I had to deal with the first year was just this scale of having to make these last minute decisions, you know, really having to figure out how to accommodate all these bands too. And it was, we were awful at it. You know, we were, we were running back and forth to these venues. They were super far apart. Capitol Hill's tough. They don't want to help you out because at that point, Capitol Hill was really cool. And it already kind of hit that Williamsburg Silver Lake status where we're all past Capitol Hill. So a lot of the um, staffing at these venues, a lot of these places, they're just so used to that, like, clubbing crowd that is fighting and on drugs all the time. And they they hate that they were not it just felt like the wrong energy and it's why we moved to Ballard was for like, if we're going to take this huge undertaking on, if we're going to be handling all of this immense workload, we need a community that'll really help us take the weight. And Ballard gave us that. It was a community where we feel like we're getting a lot of help out to manage this whole thing. Yeah. See, I would, I would have to say to Larry back in the day, I lived in Ballard. He lived on Capitol Hill and I was like, Ballard's way cooler anyway. We <laughs> got oh, hit. <laughs> So yeah, yeah we, had, we would have debates about this. Right, I don't want to go drink with longshoremen in a bar somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was back in the day. So, but anyway. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about the label though. Um, I'm interested in something, Skylar, you were quoted saying, I forget what the article was, but it was a fairly recent one. And you had said uh, you wanted to create a vibe where when you come to a freakout show, because it's a freakout show and you know, you're going to have a great experience no matter what. That really just pinged me because I thought, well, you know, and, and you're, you're devoted to, to trying to put together a diverse roster of bands. You know, the only criteria you really have is we want to give emerging bands a shot. We want to help emerging bands. How can you build a brand that tells people, oh, it's a freakout show. It's going to be great. And how much of that is tied into the festival? Yeah, this is a really good question. And I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because that notion of coming to a freakout event just because it's a freakout thing is is uh from one of my idols in yes yes <laughs> and that is uh mr bill graham uh. in his i'll make it quick but in his book bill graham presents which if you guys have never read it's the you know rock and roll bible basically <laughs> but he talks about this time i think in the 67 68 at the fillmore and he goes into the bathroom and there's these two guys, you know, at the urinal taking a leak. And and one of the guys looks at the other one and he says, who's playing tonight? And the guy looks at him, he says, it doesn't matter. It's the Fillmore. And to me, to me that's that's what I want freak out to be. It doesn't you know, I, I you know, you just show up because, you know, you tr you put your trust to buy a ticket to something that we're presenting because we don't present all the time. So it's, it could be a once a quarter type thing. So it doesn't matter who's playing. We, you should trust us because we have that sort of, you know, history of creating great events. Now that I, I can see how that would play in Seattle where the Freakout Festival happens. And even people who have been to Tree Ford and go, oh, Freakout stage. I know these bands. Mm -hmm. But let's imagine a world where bands are on tour. Mm-hmm. Are you putting together a freakout package that goes on tour so people will know this is a, these are freakout bands? The reason why is I was talking to Chris before and I was thinking, you know, most people who aren't in the music industry don't know what label mm -hmm. bands are on. Yeah. Now you have, you know, you put putting on shows, so you have that sort of chicken and egg thing, like, oh no, is it a freakout show or a freakout band? But how can you stretch that to include a night when Smoky Brights are playing in Missouri? Right. So we we don't we don't 
typically brand freak out presents on on a band's tour you know if smokies or acid tongue are going on they're doing their own tours we may help promote it just via our channels but the only time we typically will call them a showcase right if we're doing tree fort we put on our first uh, la show in july of 2019 um, and that, you know, I was there for it. We, we booked it, we curated it. It was a whole thing. And so that, that was different and we got press for it and it was great. And it was a really, really fun event or um, guys collaborated with his friends in Mexico city on, on, you know, sponsoring and, and curating his own showcase there in, in New York. So we've, we've done, we do these basically showcases but other than that like other tours or bands going on tour it's not like a unless it's we have talked about like a freak out caravan type thing where we'll take three of our bands and do a whole tour kind of like what desert days has done and and doing like caravan type tours but yeah we did a beta of that at south by last year and we had a bunch of bands out at South by together. We took them all out to Marfa. We took uh, one of our band, uh, one of my best friends from Mexico City. Their band came with us out to Marfa, Texas, as well. I did the did the Austin showcase, and then we brought a band from Colombia with us. So we had this whole crew of like international folks, you know, in a few different cars partying all over Texas. Mm-hmm. And that's the energy. You know, I I, I got to say, like, what Skyler's talking about with Bill Graham is so important because his name was the brand. And I essentially think that's what we're trying to establish with Freak Out is a tastemaker thing where we, you look at it and you know, maybe it's, maybe it's typically psychedelic rock or garage, but maybe it's not this time. I don't know. These guys know how to curate to me. And I've come up in the scene and so is Skylar where we really know the community that we like. We know the bands we like and we have a kind of a good bead on where the gaps are, like where these people could use help, like what a good event would be like, oh, there's nothing like this. The city could use this. So when we bring someone up something elsewhere, when I was living in New York City doing stuff, the approach wasn't to be invasive and be like, hey, it's freak out. Look at us. It's like, oh, I had an opportunity like Jameson wants to throw a free party. We'll curate it, put freak out's name on it, and it'll help us establish ourselves out here. Mm-hmm. And that's a very Bill Graham thing to do. That's how he approached a lot of things in life was like, his name, his agreements, it was all very important to him that his integrity was kept, you know, and that's very important to us, you know, with our branding. Now you're, you know, we're, we're however many 60 years removed from the era of Bill Graham, <laughs> but you know, at the time, and I'm sure you got this from reading the book, there was a little bit of suspicion surrounding him oh, among yeah. fans that, oh, Bill Graham's going to make us into careerists or, you know, he's got this ambition and, and he's a tough guy. Um, it doesn't sound like that's part of your package. <laughs> I mean, even though I'm not from New York and, and I'm, a, you know, quote unquote, Italian American, I definitely, uh, you know, and, and I do love the wise guy lifestyle, but I don't run a business like that. And, and, but part of me loves that about Bill Graham where, you know, he just, he stayed away from drugs and, and yeah. was just like, business you know he helped establish the business of rock and roll and and there's something that's just you you can't there's nobody else like him in the business ever well i feel like in retrospect a lot of the people he worked with looked back on it went oh yeah that kind of worked out for us yeah Yeah, like a lot yeah there's certain cases like you know there's a few comparisons to to what we've done and to what Bill obviously did on a way larger scale, but 
I love the fact that he was the first promoter to get Otis Redding to, to play San Francisco. And he had to fly to Mississippi um, and go meet Otis and convince him to come out there. And it was like, he, the guy would go to that level just to get a get an artist to play his venue. It was insane. I mean, that it's so cool. One thing you're keying on is, I mean, he loved music and it sounds like you guys do definitely love music. One difference too is, you know, the people he was dealing with, the musicians, not only were they not careerists, but I don't think they thought in terms of much beyond the next party. Tell us a little bit about the people that you deal with and what their expectations are as far as relationship with you guys and what they hope to get out of it and where they want to go. Yeah, I'll, I'll kick it off. And then guys got a lot of lot to say here, I'm sure. I know, Skylar, that that's I, I, Smokey Brights are apparently in your bubble because I saw you standing with them. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when it comes to dealing with our artists, they're our first priority. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if it's Smokey Brights, Grizzled Mighty, Sheena and Acid Tongue, who are the current active artists on the roster, you know, that that's kind of what we're laser focused on at all times, depending on what sort of stage of project they're in you know now everybody's kind of you know with their eyes on 2021 are we going to be able to tour again hopefully they're writing and recording but we do get hit from a lot of angles you know whether it be the up-and-coming musician from i mean we get demo submissions from worldwide yeah it's pretty cool it it is pretty cool you know i actually just went through all of them and you know in the last year and a half there's like over a hundred submissions and we don't have the bandwidth to to look into every single one it's and we not even that we don't have the bandwidth to work with anybody else at this point so it's it's kind of like you know we we do what we can to be supportive to the community overall um but when that's that's why we have the festival too because that gives us the outlet to to work with with a lot more artists than just our own roster and so I'll let Guy jump in, but basically when it comes to dealing with artists and their management or the, the festival is is sort of the, the big uh, time where there's a lot of back and forth with a lot of people. And, you know, we see it all. We see a lot of weird requests and we deal with a lot of <laughs> really nice people and we deal with some assholes. That's just kind of the nature of the business. I, he's nailing it. Because I think of it as there's two different type of people and there are the people who get it. And I'm just going to talk about them, but, and then there's the people who just don't fucking get it. And that's, that's a lot of people too. And that can be, then they're a nightmare. The people who get it are great. It's the people in the community we book time and time again. It's the artists we're bringing in internationally that are really appreciative of all of us hosting them, supporting them, paying them something really nice to try and get them out here and entice them. Those people get it. They come, they see the audience, they see the curation, they see the visuals, they see all that. And it just clicks and they go, this is amazing. You know, and they, everyone has their own way of interacting with what we do. You know, some of the bands are like, cool, I'm going to get high on acid and run around and, you know, have this crazy time at the festival. Other people like the Amazonies come and it's just a discovery thing and it's new for them and it's exciting. And so I like seeing when someone gets it because that is not just a one-time thing. It's some, it's most of the time, it's the beginning of a long relationship that's going to stretch for years to come. And it's somebody who's going to go and buy records from the label and support other events 
or it's an artist who's going to come back and play for us again. And, you know, maybe we won't have to deal with their agent next time. And they're going to really want to deal one-on-one with us. And we've seen that because, you know, even like with me and Skylar meeting Alex Moss from the Black Angels, like it went from being this kind of like mythical thing because we were obsessed with the Black Angels. Like that's a, a big in the last contemporary, you know, decade. Oh, you're wearing it, shit. (laughs) But like hanging with him and then having him starting to email us about the event and just wanting to support it. Like literally just this week, he was introducing me and Skylar to this dude he knows from Amsterdam that's a tour manager, festival promoter type thing. He wants us all to work together. And there's this community for this sort of stuff, like Alex, Moss, the Black Angels, all of them, they have Levitation Festival. We've got Freakout Festival. This guy in Amsterdam works with like Eindhoven Psych Lab and all these other things out there. And so this has been an entry point to a greater community to us of the people who get it, you know? Right. And I'm curious, you guys have kind of, uh, like, I guess, scattershot put the it together. I'm making finger quotes right now yeah yeah but what how we, what do you what do you mean when you say it like is it just acceptance or just like understanding like this is a cool thing or is there a, a better like way you could describe it like what is it are, are you have you ever taken psychedelics I, I can't tell you that right now <laughs> okay is that not appropriate for the podcast no, but like no, but like no, trying no, to no, describe no. it trying to describe it on a musical level is kind of like trying to describe being on psychedelics to someone who's not taken it so yeah so what, I, what i'm I, saying I, here is like as far as a discovery and a vibe goes it's very much a vibe it's it's an energy it's not something that i can really put into one word mm-hmm. it's because when you go to the shows it really is that that whole sensory experience you know the smell of the beer on the floor the venue we specifically pick, we put bands in unconventional venues all the time. So there's an energy just to that. And it's a move. We're trying to establish something with, with doing those things, who we bring in for visuals, how we pair bands up, you know, and how we curate a night. Cause it's not always the same genre. I think there's an approach we take to how we do things. And that's kind of the quote unquote it that we're talking about here. You know? Yeah. It is a difficult thing to like, sorry, Skylar, but uh, yeah, a difficult yeah. thing to put your finger on. on sure. uh, but Yeah, I just wanted to add real quick, specifically about Alex, was that he, so I I picked him up from the airport, and I'm super excited. I'm like, and I've met him before. We 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 chatted before, and that was cool. But this time, I booked him, and I booked him personally, and I picked him up at the airport, and immediately his respect for Freakout and what we were doing, without even seeing the festival, he already knew it without even going so that i think to to guy's point it's like it's not even it's not always necessarily about the event itself it's about everything that it takes to get that event there and where your brand is at so i had this respect from somebody who i highly respected who basically got me back into modern psychedelic rock music with his band and telling me that we're doing really cool things and you should be proud was like one of the biggest compliments I've ever gotten in my life. And how how did that feel physically? Were you grinning like an idiot? Yeah. And I'm driving the car. It's November and dudes just like, you know, we're, we're just, we're, we're like old friends that have never hung out before. It was crazy. Like I, 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 you know, and we still text and, and, and keep in touch. And he just came out with a brand new, beautiful record that I'm super proud of him for. And uh, it, it just was like this, I, it was crazy to me because I finally felt like, wow, I, we do have, and not that I haven't, but 
getting that validation from somebody that, that you respect so much and who's been in part of the community and specifically with Austin Psych Fest and Levitation for 10 years, um, he knows, you know, and in a lot of ways we, we've kind of, we, we do a similar type platform. I mean, we're, we're, we're not doing festivals in other cities yet, but we're, we're gearing towards that. So it, it was, it was really great. Uh, I feel like I'll do pivot in this sec, but yeah, I would say just to follow up, I, I feel like you guys explained that really well. And I got it myself as far as like when I met, you know, mm. I guess Skylar and then the Smoky Brights and just sort of, you know, everybody at KXP when we went out there, Larry can attest to that. We're so kind. It was very much like what we do with like the tree fort vibe. It was like, absolutely. We're supportive. I think that's maybe the, the bottom line. Like we, understand where you're coming from we respect it and we're part of it too and it's kind of it is kind of crazy that you guys can and i you're right i did sense this sort of grassroots let's put on a show vibe that to be able to pull that off in a city like seattle in 2019 or 2020 was 20 yes 2020 at the time is admirable but it's something you have to work to do i think it's something that wouldn't come naturally you know it yeah yeah, and like, you know, we're we're starting to in 2019 was our best year ever. I mean, we we every show that we put on was pretty much a success. We didn't we didn't lose money on any shows in 2019 and that that felt really really good. And and so um you know, and these aren't shows that you you know, we're not booking Odessa or, you know, some other big big name locally that you would expect to sell out like we booked the psychedelic porn crumpets from australia to play their first show in seattle in september and it sold out and it was awesome and now we have a relationship with those guys and next time they come here whether or not we put on a show i hope we can be involved somehow but it's going to be in a venue double the size I really want to talk about your roster of bands before I do. I have to ask, do you think that show sold out on the strength of the freakout name or is there a big psychedelic porn crumpets following in Seattle? There's a lot of people who are on the hype. You know, I think it's one of those trending bands and we're always kind of tapped in to like where to put them. I think what helped was the pairing of things. I know their agent very well in the States and he's kind of crucial. He's a pivotal dude in a lot of the bands we book. This mm-hmm. guy, Joey, that runs Space Agency. And so he will, because of our reputation, because of what we do, guys like Joey bring us stuff first mm-hmm. and they come to us and they say, look, man, I don't think anyone else is going to do this show. Right. Mm-hmm. So I want you guys to put the freak out spin. And I really have to, you know, there are times where I've messed up because <laughs> we didn't do the freak out spin quite right. You know, and I've had to call, but it's keeping that relationship alive because we aren't major players. So sometimes, you know, if we fumble, it's on a grassroots level where we got to take responsibility and Skylar and I are the first two guys to call and apologize. If something's not done correctly, if we have a band complain about something or something happens, you know, it's just us. There's no corporate to go through, you know, there's, there's, it's a really simple operation here. And well, the porn crumpets is a great example of, of, of us because that show would have done well no matter what, but I, I wanted to take it to the next level. And so I called up Lance at Matt Alchemy liquid light show. And I said, Hey dude, do you want to come up and do the porn crumpets? And he was on it and he gave me a lower rate because he likes working with me. And I didn't need Matt Alchemy light show on that show, 
but goddamn the band and the rest of the people in the crowd were really stoked to have the light show for that sold out show and and i did a poster for it it was like you know it's the little touches right that yeah make a difference in in a night and that's the freak out spin mm-hmm. so okay we've got about 15 minutes left and we would definitely be remiss if we didn't give you a chance to tell us a little bit about the bands on the roster um yes. And and I know you want to talk about Shayna Shepard because she's the latest album, right? That's the most recent one, the one that's coming out next. Yeah. And I'm interested in this because despite everything you've said about, you know, wanting to be a label of whatever emerging artist, it seems like a departure for the sorts of albums that your bands have put out. What was, although if you had signed her, uh, what was the, what's the Barracks? That would seem more consistent with, you know, rock and roll. But the stuff she's doing is she's a chanteuse. How did you come to sign her and put this album out? I work out of a studio right now. It's a pandemic brought us together. And I, Skylar and I have a really close friend named Andrew uh, who handles production for the festival. And Andrew got involved with this studio in Seattle called Mysterious Red X and kind of the ownership and, and dealing with that. And it's where Shabazz Palaces did some of their records. Eric Blood works out of there. But it was vacant, basically, during the pandemic start. And so there was months there in the beginning where nobody was working out of it. Andrew was there all the time. And I started going to record acid tongue stuff there because he's like, dude, we have an empty room. And if you guys are worried about COVID, like no one's here. So we start talking and he shows me Shayna's solo thing. He's like, Shayna came by. I don't know how they really got together, but essentially he just was like, let's try doing a single of just you. You're singing all this stuff you're doing. She taught herself how to play piano. So suddenly he pulls it up and he's like, yeah, she's only been playing piano for two years. And I hear this insane track, the virus, the one that we just dropped. And it's Shayna on piano and vocals and hand claps and everything. And Andrew's maybe doing some like quick drum beat in there or some programs. But that's about it. And I was like, we have to do this. So I've spent a lot of time with Shayna before that because of Barracks and everything. So she very much respects what Skylar and I do. And she's a big fan of Acid Tongue. And one of the things I'm doing with Acid Tongue is Ian, who you guys will meet when we come back on the podcast, we're getting more involved in the studio and trying to kind of clean up our sound and really tap into like the soul element of it. And we're really big fans of soul music. So she's approached me about working together because I want to bring that to her album that's going to be coming out. Okay. And I'm producing that record right now with the help of a bunch of different people I work with. And it's been a big priority for Skylar and I during this time because these songs are very relevant to the right now. They're very relevant to the pandemic. There's an emotional element to everything we're doing. And then on top of that, there's this personal relationship between me and Shana working together of just kind of driving her to really aspire for more, you know, and vice versa. She's really showing me how talented she is in the studio, dealing with her career. She's very, she's adapting extremely quickly. Like if you think about the fact that just two years ago, she learned how to play piano. And she seems to be, I mean, just, and I'm, you know, I'm not in Seattle, so I don't know, but just doing the Google searches, she seems to be, have a lot of momentum, at least in Seattle. Yeah. And a lot of that's, a lot of that's recent. I mean, she's, she's got these two massive gigs to be a part of the smash benefit where, where she got to work with 
Duff McKagan. And then the, the Alice in Chains Mopop Founders Award. Um, she got to work with Kim Thayall, Soundgarden, um, and a bunch of other people. Jeff Fielder, who's an amazing, prolific Seattle musician who's played with just about everybody. And that that's kind of in given her some given the eyes of, of major influencers in Seattle and given her some new opportunities. Um, we're the guys, we're, we're the, we're the small label that's being the champion of her from the ground up. And so we're, we're not getting, you know, we're not getting any sort of financial injection. We're doing this thing in a very, you know, grassroots day-to-day thing about relationships and truly caring for her liftoff and coaching and mentoring as best we can. Let me ask you this then. What if, are you prepared if she were to become your Nirvana Mm -hmm. and how would you deal with that? If all of a sudden this album takes off and it's beyond your capabilities, are you ready for that? We've talked about that already with Smokies and with Acetone. This conversation Mm -hmm. comes up because you know, at the end of the day, Freak Out is important to me and Skylar and its reputation as a live vehicle. But the label side of things is a stepping stone for artists. That's always how we've seen it. Like, we really wanted to get into the label thing to do some reissues, to help our friends' bands out, to support people we care about. But it was never supposed to be this thing where we thought, again, that we were going to be sub-pop. So if there's a way that we can get these bands launched on a greater platform with a bigger label, however that is, we are all for it. I mean, that is the biggest goal in mind here, you know, because because the rising time will, you know, the rising tide will raise all the ships, right. you know, the saying, the saying there, <laughs> but that's essentially our attitude. Yeah. Where like, so where is like the tipping point for that then? When, I mean, where would it be for you guys if, you know, either one of those bands you mentioned sort of gets to that level. Well, I, I, oh, go ahead, Skyler. No, I was just going to say, I mean, every artist we have our own sort of agreement with and, and there's, you know, not to get into the nuts and bolts of our contracts, but essentially, you know, if every new album has, you know, we're, we're not the kind of label that's giving out massive advances and asking for three record deals. And so, what would happen is if when the record is done and it starts getting submitted to other labels or another label becomes interested in it, we, we go down that conversation with what that means for them and and continue to coach and guide them and say, Oh, so, uh, you know, sub pop is going to give you that. And we're going to look at that contract and say, you know what, that's, that's an awesome deal. You should do that. Or maybe we should consider something else, but you have to, you know, you got to be careful with that too, because, you know, not all the time opportunities are going to be um, presented to you. And, and I, there have been many artists that have signed a, a, a deal with a label and they fizzled out. They, it could have been a big label and it fizzled yeah. out because it wasn't good for them. And, and so we're, we're going to, we're going to continue to coach and guide, but ultimately we do want these, these artists to have a, a larger platform than we can offer. Right. But it's funny you keep bringing up Sub Pop because that's how Sub Pop became an indie major label was <laughs> GC, you know, bought the Nirvana album. Um, but you also have to sort of look out for yourselves if they're, you know, if it gets to a point where one of your bands, and if, of course, if it's Acid Tongue, then guy, you've got a completely different set of issues to deal with. Yeah, yeah, I will. If, you know, if a major label comes courting one of your bands, you don't just wave goodbye and say good luck. 
we have contracts. We are safe. We have good legal. You know, we're lucky. We, we, we work with an attorney in the community that, that actually helps a lot of different artists and not just something like our label. And we always make sure that the people we work with have someone to protect them, whether it's, you know, getting help from our attorney or elsewhere. So there's this whole idea that, you know, we're not out there to take them, but we're also protecting ourselves. Yeah. And I think we come in and we have a pretty good system for i mean you know the good thing is i i operate as an artist so i know what fair looks like from an artist perspective and can kind of approach contracts that way where i'm i can see from their eyes what they're looking at and i can also help explain things and maybe make sure we're not putting something in they don't like or that isn't necessary because some artists goals don't overlap always with ours where we do have to hash that out before we move forward you know there's a lot of talk about like what do you, you want to achieve because I don't want to push someone somewhere where they don't want to be, you know, and it takes work on both ends. And that's why we stick to working with who we do. It's not this whole thing. Like we're really choosing it. It's finding us, you know, this, there's the submission process is great. We listen to good music all the time and maybe someday we'll take one of these submissions and put it out. But a lot of times just things fall together a certain way. And eventually that's why we're working with that band, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'd like to add too. I mean, I think, like the wish, all right, we are a for-profit business, right? Yeah. I, I pay taxes. I have, I have revenues to look at and I have losses to look at. And, and, and ideally I, we would be operating a successful label that, that is growing at a manageable pace and continue to do what we love to do. And ultimately, you know, creating a space that creates success for the artists and the label. And so, there are things that I think we've made a lot of wins and our, and our, our team continues to, you know, grow and redevelop from who we work from a distribution standpoint, who we work from PR sync synchronization licensing, who we work with um, the contacts that guy makes internationally to where, you know, a band can go to Europe and have, a radio station gig or two or three, you know, it's like, we have a lot of interesting ways that are outside of more relationship driven, I would say, than, than financially driven. And that's been really um, something that we're prideful about when it comes to the success of the label. But yeah, I want, I would love for us to continue to grow and be a little more sustainable and, and hopefully we can get there. One other question about your bands and, and the label. So I listened to the new Acid Tongue record and the new Smokey Brights record, and I came away really impressed with the level of production. What's your role in that? I mean, I mean, Guy, you probably, you did you produce your own album? I think you said you have it a bunch no, of- No, I, so we are producing our own stuff now. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we get help with like the engineers and who's mixing, we kind of dictate that. But that record was done with a guy named Matt Drenick. Um, who now lives in Los Angeles for the past few years, but he, um, I met him in Portland and mm -hmm. he's, he, he has a project called battle me. They played our festival a few times. Battle me is really kind of big in the hard rock world. And Matt's kind of the one who really taught me about sync licensing and kind of the importance of it. And it's, it's heavily what he does in LA now. And so that really shaped a lot of production choices we made is that relationship of how I approach things. I've never wanted to sound like a garage artist. Mm -hmm. And I think 
we've tried to impart that sort those sorts of values to the bands we work with is really go for the gold. You know, there's no point in being lo-fi if you don't have to be, you know, we're not all trying to be the Velvet Underground. And Smoky Brights really took, wanted to take their record to the next level. There was this attitude the last couple of years as we've gotten linked up together of like, this is kind of do or die. We're all in our mid thirties now. Like every band on the label has hit middle age in their minds. And we have lost a lot because of it, because of being involved in music. You know, we don't have retirement plans. You know, we don't have, you know, um, I, maybe Smokies, they own their house, but like, we don't all have these kinds of assets. So we really want to make it right now. And we doubled down on production of these records as sort of like a bucket, like let's really go for it this time and invested a lot into making sure they sounded like a, a mainstream kind of next level rock record, radio friendly to try yeah. it, to see like what, what happens if we do that, you know, and it's worked a little bit, you know, it's a bummer the pandemic happened, but I'm not wholly disappointed with the results. Like we've learned a lot and we've established ourselves to be, you know, respectable as a band and to really write great music with our artists. It's noticeable. It's really noticeable on those two new albums. That's awesome to hear. Thank you. Yeah, and, and yeah, Smokey Brights, I'll just mention a little bit more. I mean, and, and you guys will interview them and sort of dive more into to their record. But, um, you know, they the, the goal for them was to just, you know, go from being a rock and roll band with good songs to a, to a band that writes really great songs. And, and so the songwriting and they, they went through this rigorous process with their producer, Andy Park, who you can look him up and, and see all the projects that guy's touched. Um, but, and, and yeah, they invested a lot in that, like I said, and it was, it was definitely a gamble and in a sense that nobody expected to have the year that we had from from that standpoint and but there is again like i said a level of pride and knowing that you went through that process and you know you know what to do like you know how you know how to push yourself that hard um to 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 get ready for the next project which is what everybody's doing yeah and i'm curious yeah it's, it's interesting because like where that line also is i've asked about that with just um a couple of other elements of the conversation but just like where like overproduction can kind of not help. I mean, for me as a music consumer and someone who enjoys, you know, sort of a little like, much more indie and sort of and sort of um, stuff that doesn't sound too slick, I would say. Um, but where that where it's a, I feel like I'm talking with people who are so inside the whole business. I'd be curious, Guy and, and Skyler, like where is that line, like between sort of overproduction and being that garage band sound. So. I think that the line really comes down to the work after you've performed. So when you're in the studio, it's really about nice mics, nice gear, making sure you're equipped the way you want to be. Now, I still record with shitty little amps. I use them for a sound. I still use the, my old guitar. Like I'm not disparaging people using beginner equipment at all because it's all over my records. However, it's this whole idea of not being impeded by certain things. So I'm coming in, I can give an honest performance and it's not muddy because I'm using an SM57 at home. It sounds good. My voice sounds nice. There's a different kind of tone I can achieve that way. So I don't really support necessarily going to town on auto-tune and splicing up 
every single vocal track to be exactly in time, you know, and all this shit. Like I know what overproduction sounds like, like you're still hearing honest, raw performances. They're just done right. And a lot more goes into pre-production as well, which is really knowing what these songs should sound like before you even get into the studio. So it's a step up from just being a four piece band and playing live, but we're not at the level necessarily where there's a whole team in there making sure everything is dialed, you know, to the ACE level that it can be, you know, we kind of still make a lot of decisions on the fly that are punk rock decisions to make, you know, it's like, man, I'm going to throw this on no pedals, crank this amp. Let's see what it sounds like. Go. And it kicks ass, you know? And, you know, for the most part, besides guys own band, we, we haven't really been too involved in, in, in the material that's presented to us from the bands, you know, that's, it's not we're again we're not that kind of label that signs these multi-record deals and is a part of the decision making from the very beginning but with the shana project um this is the first one that we are uh a little more involved in like in-house yeah yeah and it's been really it's been i mean my experience is a little less uh active than guys but um from my perspective it's been really awesome to go through the demos with her and just sort of you know we went on this writing retreat um at dobe uh in september and we sat in the studio there and we listened to five of her demos and paused those paused the music and discussed oh we could add this here or that'd be real you know maybe we don't need that some you know just a little you know intricate types of things that that we're helping put our our fingerprints on which has been really cool it sounds like the job uh, just keeps getting bigger. And so <laughs> you're welcoming every expansion of the job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a year where, where we, you know, we kind of have that time. We're not, we didn't have a festival to, to do. And, you know, my, my day job's certainly busy, but I'm also at home like yeah. all day long. So that it's, it's, it's been a year where it's allowed us to do that. Skylar and I are always ready to like throw in the towel and like I fucking am so done. There's this conversation that happens about what maybe quarterly at this point of like, oh, my fucking God, I am so over this, whether it's about money or time consuming or maybe just one of our pride. One of us had the pride, their pride hurt. But like we're always about to like throw in the towel and then we bite off even more. You know, we we get into something even bigger. So this year was really funny because we got the shit kicked out of us when the pandemic came and it was brutal. And we're like, dude, this we're, we're totally fucked. This is it. Like we just invested everything in these projects. We're absolutely screwed. Mm -hmm. And then it didn't quite end up that way. And we survived, you know, and it was really surprising that people bought vinyl and people were home a lot and they were listening to records and supporting our artists and things changed. And we got kind of inspired by that and want to go forward with it. So who knows what the next thing will be, but you know, six months from now, we could be singing a different tune. <laughs> so that's the Bill Graham, the Bill Graham ethic, right? Of the, that's a lot of that too. And yeah. I, oh yeah. You know, what we're doing, you know, in this time, it, it, it's cool to hear that. And though we are running like short on time right now, we, I, we, I feel like we could talk forever. Um, and really insanely interesting inside you know sort of information like for me not a musician an artist in a different genre and you know the written word but uh man really cool stuff and like 
thanks so much for coming on. I know Larry probably has a couple or maybe one follow-up question that like- uh, No, actually, I was just speaking, I, I've been sitting here for the last 10 minutes thinking, geez, we've had these guys for a long time. And and also simultaneously thinking my background is the least cool background of <laughs> In the Zoom zone, yeah. Well, just for listeners, uh, Christian is in his very hip loft Guys in front of some cool art, and Skyler is in a, an attic somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a cabin loft attic in in North Central Washington. Nice, two feet oh. of snow outside. <laughs> Which means that all of you, and maybe me if I'm lucky, are in a position to see the Northern Lights tonight because they're supposed to. There's a crazy. Oh my God! There's okay. some kind of crazy storm happening tonight that makes the Northern Lights come all the way down into Oregon. Oh my gosh, we gotta go check that out. Yeah, look, yeah, it was, it was, it's been a little uh, foggy today, so it yeah, it's gotta clear up. Might, might not work, but that's awesome. But yeah, Christian, I think we can wrap it up. I think we've uh, we've done yeah. a lot. Of, yeah, we we didn't really talk about the grizzled mining, but we will. You know, we. Oh talk yeah, that's friends. gonna be great. That's gonna be great. And there's another Ryan, so there we go. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, ask him about when you guys do talk to him. Ask him about the project we're working on right now. We got a new band together. I would, I do want to say one more thing, if this makes it on the podcast or not, um, you know, my high praise for, for tree fort. I, I, I yes. can't say yes. good things about that festival. Uh, working with Eric Gilbert has been awesome. And now I know a bunch of other people on the tree fort team and including you guys and every year that I, you know, and I grew up in Idaho as well. So there's, there's that, but um, you know, seeing what, tree fort has done for the community of boise and beyond has just been so inspiring every every time we go we have the best time it's the best festival and we say that as festival curators that it, it there's no other experience like tree fort out there and and it's yeah i just i could go on and on about how much i love tree fort so thanks for thanks for having us Amen to that. It is always like an important lesson in community to be at that festival. So amen to what Skylar said. Yeah, thanks guys, Skylar, for sure. We were, I mean, it's, it's just such a weird, wonderful, um, organic set of experience. Like I think what you guys were talking about with the Freak Out Festival, it's like it just, you get the right individuals involved and, you know, it just has the right heart and the it, like you mentioned before, I feel like that tree four definitely. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. nearly, nearly always has that we can't be perfect all the time we're, we're pretty happy with it and we're sad it's like it's gonna be like two and a half years in september since the last one and then but we'll get we'll reboot again in march of 2022 and so we're like it's very cool to have you know sort of uh, the momentum continue on this podcast and i like, have folks who've been involved like yourself with uh tree ford overall and larry of course um yeah, just, just keep it rolling i don't know it's it's yeah it's cool and before before we wrap it up by having you guys, uh, you know, give us whatever websites we need to hear from you, um, I'm just curious for you guys when you go to Tree Fort mm-hmm. and you see the impact a festival can have on a town of that size, how do you how, how does that sort of process through your heads living in a bigger city? Yeah, it it uh, I'll jump in because it has a really big impact. And what, like I said before, it's very inspiring. Um, and specifically because you have, and, and just downtown Boise is just perfect for it because you have a roadmap for that. You can't do that in every city, you know. I mean, Austin, Texas, it, you know, Tree Fort, a lot of people say is like South by was 25 years ago or whatever. 
and 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 you have that sort of you know austin is kind of like that where it's flat and there's venues all over the place and and so you can't really recreate what tree ford is doing in every city and and with seattle no way i mean the, the only, <laughs> there's no way possible because it's not it would never be that compact i mean there's there's been things like the city arts fest which only lasted a couple of years and it was in multiple neighborhoods decibel festivals tried to do it um there's it's never been successful because it's too it's just not connected and geography so outside of the geographical issue for it that um that what it's done for the community is because I think that it there isn't 20 other music festivals in, in Boise. You know, it's the one that really matters when it comes to the type of curation they're doing. And so you have this infrastructure and they started out as a B Corp. They made they made this, they had the vision, I think, from the beginning to get to the level that they're at and beyond. And so um it's inspiring. And, and what irritates me is that we can't do that in Seattle. That's why I'm pissed because, you know, I wish what we're trying to do from a community standpoint, which I think is really important, but at the same time, I don't think we can really get necessarily to the same level within our own city because we don't have the same infrastructure and, and, and we have too much else going on. But what we can do is we can take the same size festival and go to other cities and be a whole different thing. So, yeah, yeah. I think that's what I was driving at. You know, when you go to when you live in a big city and you go to Tree Fort, you think, wow, this festival basically owns this city. Yeah. For this week. It's it's fantastic. It really is. It is. Yeah. And it's been cool. I mean, just to be a part of it um, from after the first couple of years, I was just working up pizza cart but for my friend in the main stage and then this the writer person was like I, hey eric maybe we should like have some stories involved and so that then i think a lot of the other like the hacked forts and the yoga forts and the ale forts and all the other elements of what it's kind of just organically happened in the process of evolving tree fort it's really added a lot to it as well and yeah we're, we're happy we're so happy to like do this kind of year-round programming too now i mean it's expanded and we actually have a really cool um, nonprofit status as part of the festival, the Tree Fort Community Fund, that like Story Fort and other like mostly free forts um, will live under. And like getting the funding you guys were talking about earlier is, is, is happening for a lot of our artists and our, and our staff and just like, yeah, all this stuff. So we'll, we'll make it through 2020. And oh, actually this is going to be airing in 2021. So you'll find out if we right. made it through, I guess. <laughs> That's true. Yes. But thanks so much guys. That's Thank so you guys awesome. for having yeah. us. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Before we go, uh, here's your chance to plug, uh, give us, you know, so people can find freak out on the web, um, maybe acid tongue too, Skylar, if you've got anything, just let her rip boys. Yeah, uh, well, a couple websites, the-freakout.com is our sort of festival and current Freakout Live space. Um, at Freakout Records for uh, Facebook, Instagram. Instagram. And then freakoutrec.com for the label website, freakoutrec.com. And then at Acid Tongue, at Smoky Brights, at The Grizzled Mighty, at Shana Shepherd Music. Good job. Yeah. He's really good at that. He's, he was really good. He kind of knocked it out of the park, to if, be honest. If, if Bill Graham knew what social media was, he'd be really proud of you right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, he knows that Otis Redding lo loves uh, 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 Seven Up with Ice. So, you know. He does. <laughs> I'll just plug, uh, I also DJ, you know, so if you guys uh, ever need a wedding detox. <laughs> 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 do you do bar mitzvahs That's my i'll do a bar mitzvah you know if the, if the price is right <laughs> yeah i know you need to get your son you know to have a child first maybe larry so yeah oh yeah years <laughs> after our last bar mitzvah in this family would love to <laughs> we look forward to seeing you all i know the announcements for artists aren't official but we're hoping to find many many freak out records artists um at the fest so we will as our saying goes we will see you at the fest all right everyone that was our episode with skylar locatelli and guy keltner of freak out records and larry rosen and i enjoyed a great conversation uh, it was good to get back to some music oriented stuff in 2021 as we stare the september when the festival three four music fest is supposed to happen again we're hopeful and we want to say we hope you're all doing well staying safe in 2021 and we have more freak out records episodes coming at you all through february and into the first week of march so find out about all things tree fort at treefortmusicfest.com and you can find out more about freak out records and what they're up to just by googling them at freak out and hey one day soon, in September, we shall end up seeing you at the fest. But tomorrow never came.